The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Ms. Kate Mendenhall. She is the executive director of the Organic Farmers Association, which advocates for more domestic organic farms, strong organic standards, and technical assistance and education to support national growth of organic farming. Prior to joining the Organic Farmers Association, Kate worked with the Pesticide Action Network, the Center for Urban Education and Sustainable Agriculture at the Ferry Plaza Farmers Market in San Francisco. She also served as the executive director of the Northeast Organic Farming Association in New York. Kate lives now in her hometown of Okaboji, Iowa. That's in the northwest section of the state, deep in the heart of this country, She worked as the managing director for the Iowa Organic Association for three years while starting her own organic livestock farm. She continues to farm while leading the Organic Farmers Association. She has nationwide experience and dedication to organic farmers throughout her career. She has young children, so she cares about this issue, and she describes herself as a fierce advocate for what organic farmers need and want from the ground up. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to have an organic farmer here to speak with me, a consumer educator, also an advocate for organic food and farming, because through my lens, I look at it as a way to protect public health through protecting the environment. And with climate change at the top of our radar in terms of challenges for future generations, I see organic farming as a way to have truly regenerative farming practices that can help mitigate climate change. So I'm curious, though, to know what led you to organic farming in the first place? Mm -hmm. Well, I grew up in my small rural town of Iowa during the 1980s farm crisis. And so much of our, um, we do have a little bit of tourism locally, but much of the economy was agricultural. And by the time I graduated from high school, almost none of the students in my classroom were farming anymore. They'd all moved into town. And so I really saw the impact of industrial agriculture and the sort of heartache from farm families having to leave their farm. And I left feeling, one, very connected to agriculture and the landscape around me, but thinking there must be a better way to preserve American family farms and healthy food production for our country. And so I really left Iowa for college looking for what that answer might be and found organic farming, went to a little college in Maine and just started talking to farmers at the farmer's market, and I had this big aha moment where organic agriculture for me is a great way to circle all of my interests in one. I love ecology and nature, and organic farming really embodies that and all of the standards that outline the way that we are as organic farmers farm. It includes a lot of social justice components, and that's really important to me. And also just grows healthy food and is very community-focused. A lot of our farmers sell direct to their local communities. And I love my small town community and I love being able to provide them with healthy food. Mm, And that's so important as we look at climate change and we look at the challenges of COVID and we realize 
there are so many faults with our industrialized system. And I think everything's being laid bare now with so many crises facing us. So what I thought was interesting, though, is that you said that you went to a college in Maine where you were exposed or really enlightened about the benefits of organic agriculture. Do you think you would have gotten that same message if you had gone to a land-grant college, say, Iowa State? Probably not. Land grants seem to be very focused on agribusiness and conventional industrial agriculture models. I know a lot of friends who I grew up with who went to study agriculture, but they aren't farming. They're doing some sector of agribusiness. And so that hasn't been the focus. There's definitely a lot of progress has been made since I was in college and a lot of student organic farms and a lot of sustainable agriculture programs, which were just starting as I was beginning grad school. But no, I mean, I realized when I left Iowa that I had not seen very much food being produced. I'd seen a lot of grain farming, but not a lot of food farming. And so it was very eye-opening for me to see all this local food at the farmer's markets, to see small farms growing food for their communities, CSAs, robust farmer's markets. That's just something I wasn't that exposed to in my rural town, and that, thankfully, is just starting to change. But I did need to leave, I think, to see the opportunities for the heartland. Yeah, I agree. I'm here in Columbia, Missouri, which is where the land-grant college is. And I would have to agree that our agriculture department is very much influenced, or to a large extent influenced by agribusiness as well, production agriculture. But it's the rural sociology department that seems to offer some alternative thinking about how can we be producing our food, and even thinking more of cooperatives rather than competitive versus cooperative models of doing business. And I could not agree more. When I first moved here, the farmer's market was much smaller than it is today. I see more of the community being open to consuming organic food, wanting organic food. There's lots of confusion in the marketplace, you know, certainly with labels like natural, local, non-GMO, organic. And I think that's part of our role, you know, is both of us educating from different parts of the conversation. But I agree with you with regard to feeling great hope that we're going to see this change. And I think young farmers like yourself are really driving it. So thank you for that. I wanted to do this interview because of a news release that I received. Uh, your name, as well as Abby Youngblood, who is the head of the National Organic Coalition, were the media contacts. And it had to do with the USDA's Farm Service Agency announcing that they would be reducing reimbursement rates for organic certification cost share. So I think before we dive into cost share, we need to explain how this system works. So an organic farmer in order to be certified organic, has to go through the certification process. Tell me what that's like. Yeah, so when a farmer is deciding to become certified organic, if they're using conventional practices to begin with, they have to put their land through a three-year transition period, which they can't market as organic yet. That's a transition period where they're still using their conventional marketplace, but they have to be managing their farm following the organic standards. So it's essentially a way to cleanse your land of any chemicals and to test out the management strategies that you're going to need to be a successful certified organic farmer. After that three-year period, you submit an application, and then an inspector comes to your farm and checks all your records, looks at all of your finances, sees what you've purchased, what you've sold, and makes sure that everything adds up 
make sure that all of the inputs you're using on your farm fall in line with the organic standards and have been approved inputs for use in organic. It's very extensive. And then after all that's done, you get your organic certificate, which confirms that your farm, the specific crops listed have been done under organic certification standards and process. And then each year you still have to submit an application and be inspected. So it's very thorough and comprehensive. And I know for me as an organic farmer, I've only been certified for two years because I had to transition my farm for three years. It really helps me become a better farmer. It makes sure that I'm including all of the environmental practices in my farm that I'm really thinking through about soil fertility and health, as well as the health of my animals that I raise. So it's a good roadmap for, I think, being just a very ecologically focused farmer, a resilient and regenerative farmer. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say it's very expensive, does the certification cost vary around the country, or is it pretty much standard? Yeah, so certification agencies typically use one of two methods. They either charge you a flat fee and then an additional fee based on your gross sales, or they may just charge a flat fee. So it is quite expensive. My farm is quite small, and I also do this work as Organic Farmers Association director, so my farm is captured to be just about a part-time job. So my farm is small, but my certification fees are around $1,000 which is really expensive for my small farm income and other expenses just to keep the farm running. So the fees cover your inspection, your certification rates. And so for a larger farm, that would be much more expensive with probably a higher gross income from the organic sales. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really interesting because I know one of the consumer questions that I get repeatedly, even from fellow registered dietitians, is, yeah, organic's very nice, but, you know, it costs more. And I think it's important for the consumer side to understand why it costs more. And I loved that there was a cost share. I don't know that all farmers realized that some of those expenses could be reimbursed through USDA. So part of my job, I felt, was to help them to make that transition to organic, to help say, yes, there's going to be an additional cost, but guess what? USDA, through our State Departments of Agriculture, can provide some reimbursement for you. So what had the reimbursement been prior to this change with the USDA's Farm Service Agency? So for years, the Organic Certification Cost Share Program has been a steady program where a producer could get up to 75% of their certification fees reimbursed with a maximum of $750 per scope. So my farm is certified for organic crops, and organic livestock. The other potential scopes are handling and wild crops. So if I was also certified to process my chickens on my farm, that would be a third scope under my farm. And if I was also harvesting some wild crops on my farm, that would be a fourth scope. So it's up to $750 per scope. And 75% of your certification fees would really, I was getting about 75% of my certification fees because I did have those two scopes and my farm is relatively small. 
it makes a big difference. It really makes it affordable for me to become certified organic. And I know that that is one of the biggest hurdles for farms who are following organic practices but just nervous about certifying. It really helps them enter that and open up additional markets for them, like wholesale markets or places where they don't have a face-to-face explanation opportunity with their consumer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And just to clarify this word scope, that was new to me. And it sounds like when you say per scope, it means per organic item that you are selling off your farm, if if that's a, a different kind of word. So a chicken, um, if you've got beef, that would be a different scope? It's actually more like a category. So a the category. four Great. categories you can certify under are crops, livestock, handling, which is like food processing, or wild crops. Okay. Something you would find in nature and just harvest. Great. Okay, thank you. That makes it a lot clearer. All right. So to me, then, it seems like someone who's working harder, because the organic farmer does have to work harder to keep better records and to be ready for the certification inspection, you're also improving the environment. So if we look at water quality, for example, the water that comes off of your farm because you're not using toxic chemicals is going to be cleaner because your soil is in better condition. You're going to have less problems after a heavy rain, for example, or you'll be able to hold on to water more during a drought. It seems that the cost share is an incentive where we all win. It's an incentive to the farmer, but everyone wins because the environment is protected and therefore public health is protected. Do you see it that way too? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think And organic agriculture is a really cost-effective way to encourage farmers to provide a lot of environmental services. There are a lot of USDA agriculture subsidies which pay farmers to do these environmental services, but organic farmers are volunteering to follow very strict regulations and volunteering to incorporate the strictest of environmental services and practices on their farm, and then they pay for it in addition So the Organic Certification Cost Share Program helps reduce that burden a bit and does reward farmers for the environmental practices that they are doing, just like a whole host of other USDA FSA programs do to try to incentivize farmers to adopt these programs. Right. Okay, I need to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Ms. Kate Mendenhall. She is the Executive Director of the Organic Farmers Association. This is a national organization which advocates for more domestic organic farms, strong organic standards, and technical assistance and education to support a national growth of organic farming. Kate lives in the heartland of the United States, and she is an organic farmer herself. All right, I want to talk about the change then. So the USDA's Farm Service Agency has announced that they want to reduce the reimbursement rate or reduce the incentive to do things that are better for public health and the environment. And they want to reduce it from instead of a 75% reimbursement to a 50% reimbursement. And you are hoping that with consumer outcry and organic farmer persistence and calling Congress letting our senators and representatives know that we want more organic agriculture, not less, that they should maintain, in my opinion, not only the full extent that they had, the 75% of the cost share, but also to increase research dollars in organic agriculture. 
Yeah, organic agriculture, like I said, has so many benefits for the environment and helping us reverse climate change that we should be supporting more and more organic, more organic research, more farmers to consider transition to organic, more certification of organic. And so across the board, this is the direction where we need to be supporting our agriculture. And unfortunately, this year, the cost share dollars were announced to be significantly reduced in a year when diversified small to mid-sized organic farmers need this support the most. We were left out of most of the stimulus programs. Diversified farmers just didn't fit. It was more for large-scale commodity growers that were provided stimulus support during the pandemic. And we were asking Congress to consider 100% cost share this year, so to really increase the program. And instead, it was unexpectedly announced that it was reduced to 50% from the historic 75%. So we really have been advocating for our consumer supporters and our farmers to tell Congress how important and necessary this program is to call in and ask for those funds to be reinstated or even increased. And Mm -hmm. we're hoping we can get that back to where we need it. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Kate. You know, it's interesting with regard to the stimulus packages, I don't think a lot of people really have a good idea or understanding of where that stimulus money went. And when I learned that the stimulus money went to support the kind of agriculture that is not sustainable, that is not regenerative, that is increasing our problems with regard to climate change, I was really upset. But it's not easy to find that information. You know, it's not on the front page, at least of my newspapers. So I want to direct people to your website, organicfarmersassociation.org, because when I went there in preparation for this interview, I learned so much from the organic farmers that you featured in light of the COVID-19 crisis. And what I thought was so interesting is that, yeah, organic farmers had CSAs, they were doing fine. But with the COVID-19 crisis, they saw greater demand. All of their CSA shares were sold out earlier than expected. So we are seeing a shift. We are seeing more consumer demand for more regionalized agriculture. We want to know where our food comes from. Do you have any stories that you want to share from your farmer members about the COVID-19 crisis and how it's impacted them? Yeah, this is one aspect where we saw this past year during the pandemic, our food system just stumble on itself and bring to light all of the problems that we have nationally and regionally in our existing food system. But at the same time, we saw a lot of successes come out of these organic farmer and regional food system stories. So organic farmers are typically much more diverse market. They were able to be nimble and shift and bring food directly to consumers and have the infrastructure and the flexibility and the diversity of food growing on their farms and in their business model to be able to do that. So at Organic Farmers Association, we're trying to lift up those stories and bring them forward to Congress and to the public to show, while we're also examining the places of our food system that failed, let's also look at the places where our food system thrived and was successful during this stressful time. And let's use those as success stories for when we're trying to rebuild our food system and look forward for future policies so that we can be more food secure as a nation. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of farms just inundated with consumer requests, and I think part of that is that people have been at home cooking, not going out. They've been in control of almost 100% of their food dollars instead of grabbing something at the corporate cafeteria or grabbing something on the go to work. 
we were actually making those consumer choices ourselves and cooking most of our meals. And when we were doing that, we were choosing to buy much more organic, natural foods, and that resulted in a huge demand for those foods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a silver lining to this crisis, I know. When I drive through Iowa, before I really got involved beyond dietetics and I learned so much from organic farmers. I have so much respect for the hard work that you do. I served on a couple of organic farming boards, and that was where I really learned about the power of diversity in crops. Prior to that, if I would drive through Iowa, Minnesota, Missouri, Illinois, the farm belt states where we have a lot of corn and soy growing, I wouldn't have known that that was a problem. You know, everything was green and lush, why would I think otherwise? But now when I drive through and I see monocropping systems where we have corn and soy rotations, I think about water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. We can't eat commodity corn and commodity soy. We want to eat more fruits and vegetables. We want locally grown produce and meats. And I think that just as we're seeing local farmers see the increased demand I'm hoping that we will also see an increase in the infrastructure that we need to support those farmers, you know, like processing plants, for example. What do you do with your livestock when you want to take animals to slaughter and sell them to consumers? Where do you go? The poultry, the chickens and turkeys we do right here on our own farm. There really aren't any facilities that will take them unless I drive five to six hours. And so we just do it on the farm and we like to be a part of that process. And we do that, especially with my family. So my seven-year-old son is there butchering, helping butcher chickens right alongside me and my dad and my husband and my mom and my sister helps when she's in town. So we really enjoy that, the family aspect of farming and we do those on farm. For my pigs, I have to take those to at least a state inspector or federally inspected facility. So Typically, I have to drive two and a half hours, but during the pandemic, we had, as you know, a ton of closures from large meatpacking plants, and so the result was that they were basically giving away pigs to people in their community to process, and within a week, processing facilities filled up until February of 2021, and so I was lucky to squeeze in to a local meat locker, which is just uh, a little less than an hour away from me because someone else canceled a small order that they had. But it was particularly difficult this year to find small to mid-sized processing facilities that would do local meat processing, but it has been a national problem for many, many years and something that Organic Farmers Association has been working on in concert with other organizations really leading that charge and it's work that I worked on in New York at Nelson, New York. It's a, a national problem that we have lost that local infrastructure for meat processing, and it's too bad because you really, as a consumer, it's such a great way to purchase meat. You know the farmer. You get to choose all the kinds of cuts that you have, and I love having my freezer stocked full of meat for the whole year. I'm a busy mom, and so I can just go to the freezer and pull out what I need for the week and don't have to worry about going to the grocery store. <laughs> exactly. I feel the same way, and... I've always cooked for my family, and it is extremely rewarding. And that's another silver lining from this crisis is that we, as you mentioned, we have more people at home cooking food for themselves and realizing that, you know, it's not counted in the GDP, is it? All of the work that's done in the home 
doesn't add up to a greater GDP, but it's so important for the health of our families. So I think that we are hopefully going to see more processing facilities open to make it easier for not only homes to get cuts of meat from local farmers, but also our institutions. I mean, when you think of the hospitals and the schools that are using meat, even the the meat in the grocery store, at least in my community, it all comes from an industrial system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the environmental impact of those systems is so great, especially on small small communities that are quite rural that don't have a lot of voice power, and their quality of life is impacted when they're surrounded by factory farms that are smelly and have piles of dead animals by the roadside. I mean, that's not the kind of rural landscape that we should be striving for in this country. I think we can do a lot better, and local farms that really care about those animals is really the way we should be framing our infrastructure to support in the future. I love my pigs. They get back rubs and ear scratches every time I go out to feed them, and I really care about the way that my chickens are being raised. They get a cuddle every now and then, but, you know, that's a different, it produces a different quality of meat, I think, and it's more nutritious for the end consumer in the end. I'm really paying attention to how their manure is being put onto my soil and where it's going if there's a heavy rain. They get moved so frequently through my perennial pasture that I'm not getting any manure runoff. There's not smell that's contaminating my neighborhood, and it's a much more balanced ecological system. We really need to be thinking, supporting infrastructure that moves us back into that type of framework. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. Well, and we've also seen large outbreaks of COVID in facilities across the Midwest where we have these horrific meat processing plants where workers are really treated more like slaves and human beings. So one more reason to shift the landscape and the way we produce our food. Kate, we just have a minute left, and I want to give that minute to you and let you tell our listeners anything you'd like about your work, your organization, any calls to action. Thank you. Yes, Organic Farmers Association was created because there is a need for a strong voice for organic farmers. They do such a great job. They work so hard on their farms supporting the stewardship of quite extensive ecosystems, and then they're producing healthy food for their communities. So one thing that we know organic farmers cannot survive without is strong consumer support, and we've been able to thrive and grow because we're so connected to consumers. And right now, we really need consumer support. We are working on trying to reinstate the funding for cost share so that more and more farmers can consider organic certification. And we're also looking at a new rule called the Strengthening Organic Enforcement Rule, which is trying to prevent imports of organic fraud coming in and undermining our American farmers' organic grain, particularly in this country, by price. So they're doing such a great job. We want to make sure that that's protected and that consumers' interest and trust in the labels is protected, and that we continue to have funding for organic agriculture across the board. So if listeners ever have an opportunity to call their senators or representatives and just advocate for organic food and farming and more funding to support a growth of organic farming, especially now as we're looking more comprehensively as a country at mitigating climate change, organic agriculture has such an important role to play in that story. And 
still have an outcome of great environmental services, but also healthy, delicious food. So you can't advocate for organic farming and food enough, and farmers feel very connected to consumers. We're all in this together. Oh, that's great. Kate, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. I need to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Kate Mendenhall, Executive Director of the Organic Farmers Association. The website is organicfarmersassociation.org to learn more about these topics and more. Kate, thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Thank you so much.